ding, ding. Chapter 7 in our uh, 12-part series on the teachings of Jesus, how Jesus can help us to outfox religious wolves, sometimes religious wolves who come in the name of Jesus, coming to you from our front, our front little garden area. Mm-hmm. Yes, where we have all of our beautiful butterflies that are right now in their um, caterpillars, and then some of them are forming the chrysalis, and it has been a complete joy to We thought one of them was dead, <laughs> and I said, no, it's not dead. It's not dead I yet. For sure it was she done. felt happy. And then there there it was. It, that that corpse turned into a beautiful little gem, a little emerald gem. And I was told by my oldest that it, it was not uh, delight and aesthetics and God that made it so that there's little gold little kind of gold designs on it, but that was evolution. Mm. <laughs> what to make sure it's well, like No, and then we came special? to terms with it could be both. Yeah, I mean, have you, have you seen these these uh, these monarch butterfly uh, chrysalises? Uh, chrysalis. <laughs> they yeah, have, that's what I was wondering. What's the yeah, plural? They have. Uh, they just have this 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 beauty that is some. It doesn't make sense. It feels like we're in some kind of computer video game or something, and somebody did a little extra. Yeah, you know, that was just not necessary. It's like gold it was gratuitous fl- it's like joy. Gold flakes. Like, yeah. yeah, I don't know. It looks really. Well, special. hope hopefully, friends, that you've got little things in your world all around you that you can, if you look closely enough, behold and see the joy and see the beauty uh, that maybe you had missed. Uh, when you weren't able to take a little bit of a pause and relax and uh, yeah, because I'm wondering. I mean, I don't. I think we would have noticed um, having this many last year, but I we we noticed one, mm-hmm. <laughs> which means there's probably more, and we were just too busy to to really pay attention. Yeah. But there's yeah. a whole bunch. I know of like five of them so far that are already in the uh, have their chrysalis, and then there's three that are about to be formed. So it's pretty cool. Now, beholding a a chrysalis is often going to be free. And in fact, these things are growing on some weeds I was going to pull out. These are the milkweeds. And so that's, that's taken us to our topic for today, which is this way in which the, the Master Jesus says, sell everything you got, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And that sounds a lot of the, the time like it's a spiritual flagellation where you're just kind of beating yourself up. And if I, if I am as lowly and as sad as possible, then maybe God will love me. Uh, we're going to see that that's not what it's about, but there is there is this very troubling teaching. It's it's a it's it's a troubling teaching for most of us because most of us, especially in the developed world, even when we feel like we're cash strapped, we're kind of rich. You mm-hmm. know, we got a lot of privilege, and so uh, in 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 regards to that, well, that's one we're, of the, it's, we're all challenged by this. It's one of the teachings too that I kind of have been. It seems like our, our pastors or whatever mostly gloss over it. <laughs> I don't hear a whole lot of uh, you in know Orange County long sermons yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah, it's so. it's it's an uncomfortable one when you have this much affluence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I will go ahead and read. Um, it's Luke chapter eighteen, uh, verses eighteen through thirty, and it says, "Now there was this one ruler who came up to Jesus asking, Good teacher, what must I have done in order to inherit eternal life?'" So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bring false testimony. You shall honor your father and mother. And the ruler responded, I've kept all these commands since I was young. Hearing this, Jesus told him, There's still one thing you're missing. Sell everything. As much as you have, and give the proceeds to the poor, and you'll have treasure in the heavens. And then come follow me. 
Upon hearing these words, he became terribly sad, since he was very wealthy. Seeing him this way, Jesus too became sad, lamenting, How difficult it is for those with wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to make it through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy person to enter into the kingdom of God. Then those who heard all this asked, Then who is able to be saved? Yet he answered, That which is impossible for people is possible for God. Then Peter said, Notice that we have left all our stuff and followed you? Then he responded to them, Rest assured, when I tell you that no one has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive infinitely more in this existence and eternal life in the age to come. There's a lot there. There is a lot there. Um, yeah, so first of all, are we talking about uh, real wealth? Sometimes I've heard it, you know, as if it's maybe not like a literal, uh, a literal teaching. You know, um, there's more to it. But friends, if you're going to listen and pay attention and be transformed by these teachings, it's important for us to first begin with the very plain reading and the bare reading. And that is that there's a problem that comes with wealth. There is a problem that comes certainly with the pursuit of wealth. And if you're going to overly spiritualize this, if you're going to take this directly to some uh, allegorical meaning, uh, ask yourself, do you do that with other things? You know, I know a lot of fundamentalists that are very, you know, you know, certain that Jonah and the whale is to be taken literally or the six days of creation to be, to be taken literally. And that may or may not be warranted by the, by the reading. But when they get to the question <laughs> of, of wealth, then it's allegorical. Right, 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 right. <laughs> then, it's, uh, then we've got some nuance, mm-hmm. you know. Um, th- when, it, when it comes to, you know, human sexuality, when it comes to, uh, you know, all sorts of, of, of kind of cultural questions, we can be very, we can be very rigid. And, and in many ways, that rigidity has to do with people's power. Mm-hmm. And in this case, uh, here's Jesus kind of confronting the source of a lot of that power, which is wealth. Yeah, well, and, and I think, I mean, there's, if you think about it too, there's a lot of security that comes with wealth and, you know, being sort of self-sufficient, thinking that you can somehow, you know, I don't know, figure out how to to buy your way into uh, the kingdom of God or Mm -hmm. something, you know, which is perhaps what, you know, one of the things that the rich young ruler was thinking. Um, And the other thing I think that it lends itself to, unfortunately, sometimes is um, this sort of the just world fallacy that we've talked about where people sort of, you know, kind of deserve their uh, lot in life uh, because they're lazy or immoral, that that they're poor or something like that. They've somehow done something, um, one, to deserve the wealth that they have. They must be great people (laughs) Mm. or the other people must be terrible or something wrong with them. Um, Like I said, lazy or something when they don't have it. And we did a lot more on that that topic uh, that was on uh, season one episode fifteen. So, if you want to look more up on the uh, just world fallacy, you can. Yeah, but it's look. important because we it makes us feel better when we can say that poor people are poor because they're lazy, and that rich people are rich because they're hard workers. Yeah, and a lot you know sometimes that definitely is true, but sometimes it's not true at all. Sometimes we are there's circumstances yeah. outside of our control. There's you know I mean there's sometimes oppressive systems that don't allow um, certain people to climb up within the system to, you know, gain a little bit more money or, or, or wealth. In the developed West, we, you know, I think the, my, my favorite way of talking about it, and, and somebody else came up with it, is that idea that we, we were born on third base and we thought we hit a triple. Yeah. You know, we, we feel not just 
okay with our with our affluence, but that we feel like it it, it is uh, an indication of our of our worth, our moral luck, mm-hmm. and um, and that's not always the way it's been. There have been times in in you know European history, for instance, where people were literally embarrassed by riches, mm-hmm. and they had to find a way to over overcome that guilt. In fact, some people would say, and I think it's a very strong interpretation, that the Renaissance art and chapels and 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 all the things that were developed in in the Italian Renaissance or a lot of it was an attempt for people to um to pay God off you know if i make if i make it so that there's this beautiful church or there's beautiful art mm-hmm. uh that is sacred art Almost then, justification you know, for the rest of how they're living their life kind of like the philosopher Zizek saying you know we we assuage our guilt for buying a $5 you know cappuccino at Starbucks or whatever, um, by having you know a small percentage of that go to the poor people right. that harvested the beans. Right, and there's a lot of Doesn't businesses it, you know, that do offer that, and I think that there is obviously some there's some genuine interest in helping people yeah, out. Sometimes. And it's good to be good, right? But there is sometimes this, you know, oh, it will you know make you feel a little less guilty for buying this expensive item. And yeah. at a very practical level, it'll pay off you know the people who would otherwise criticize us. Are there basic structural problems with the way we're getting our coffee beans? That's the real question. Yeah. And when, you know, I'm wearing this right here. I'm wearing this from Guatemala. Uh, a woman made this, and I was, I was buying it. And um, in Spanish, we were trying to, you know, our broken, my broken Spanish, we were, we were trying to communicate through the question of whether or not, you know, I was going to pay $40 for it. Mm-hmm. And I offered her 20 And she said, you know, it took me 30 days to, to weave it. Right. I thought, oh, so I'm going to pay twenty dollars for a less month. than a dollar a day for her labor. Well, yeah. I couldn't possibly do that. I gave her more money. Right, and right. this is this is a very um, very special piece of, piece of textile to me. I don't I don't know quite why it's it's really found its way into a lot of different moments where people were were sad or whatever. And I would kind of drape it around them, so it's kind of like my little uh, my little prayer scarf or something. I'm not sure or. A, a, a table a cloth. <laughs> I'm not sure what <laughs> to do with it. Number, I love it so things, much. Yeah. Yep. The the thing was is when I got this, her family um, were indigenous folks that lived in the hills near Antigua, Guatemala, and they were they were just picking the the coffee beans with their family. They had the babies on their back, mm-hmm. and the person who and I think we talked about this on a previous show. Uh, the person who owned the plantation with all the coffee had this this elaborate um estate that had barbed wire and fencing and all of this we have talked about yeah uh, because uh because they were they were so wealthy and they were worried of getting uh, you know worried about the poor people coming in and revolting and and maybe kidnapping somebody and and uh, holding them for ransom and so in you know when you think about this question in jesus day of money and evil Mm -hmm. That was not some figurative thing. I mean, that was really what was going on there. It was going on in yeah. Guatemala. And so my point is, is that if we get this coffee and we fail to recognize the, the gross inequality, five cents on a cup of coffee for some nonprofit is not necessarily enough to deal with the bigger, yeah. you know, uh, right. the, the injustice that's going on in the whole system. Right. And you know what, since you already brought up the structural sin, um, will you explain just a little bit more, um, not too much, but just a little bit more about that? Like you said, not too much. Like, <laughs> we've, we've hit it a little bit, but just sort of... I, a lot of us approach these passages and say, where do I fit in? Am I too rich for, for heaven? 
is God going to accept me and in all of this? And uh, that's a reasonable question. It's an important question in individual sin. But really what's at stake here is what we would call structural sin in theology. And structural sin is where you are both a victim and a perpetrator. You are caught in this vortex of injustice, and you don't necessarily have an easy way out. Imagine that you got uh, a sweatshop in Indonesia that was was your long-lost uncle's. Your long-lost uncle dies, and all of a sudden, you, you find out that their lawyers contact you, and you've got now this inheritance. And you're excited. You've got this inheritance. You're thinking, hey, it's great. extra income. This what is, is awesome. it? It's a shoe factory. Oh, they make cool shoes. Great. They make sneakers. I'd love to own a sneaker factory. Mm-hmm. But then you get down to the business of it, and you realize that there are just horrific working conditions. Uh, t- young, you know, teenage, teenage kids are, are working to make your shoes. Pay is terrible. Pay is terrible. Then you think, well, this is not how I want to live. There's so I'm no going to... sick pay. There's no... I'm going to change this, right? Yeah, no, no health... Freaking health care is not even a factor here. And so you are able to sell this shoe for $120 in the United States, but it's based on the labor of people that aren't making 30 bucks a month, right. you know? So in that context, you would say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just close the thing down. But then people write you letters and say, please don't close it down. I need the work. Yeah. And plus, I mean, you could still be a, a better boss than what they would have had to do otherwise, right? Maybe or- so, right? Oh, you're going to give them a raise. Oh, now you can't afford to do it. And you get undercut by other businesses that aren't, you know, fulfilling the labor practices that you want to uh, you yeah. know, stick to. And so the point is... Um, that all it, of a sudden, this thing that seemed like a blessing beca- becomes a curse, right? That yeah. you don't know how to fix it. You don't want to close up the shop necessarily. You don't necessarily want to keep running in its current existence. And you feel incredibly guilty. And you're implicated in something that it's not easy to extract yourself from. The whole system is corrupt. Where we sell our shoes, the American people who buy shoes, the the the, the standards that we hold our companies to right. has a lot to do with what companies can do. Yeah. Right? I mean, so if the average individual doesn't care about the labor conditions for the folks that are making their sneakers, then why should we get all high on our horse and be angry at CEOs who let that happen? Hmm. We're all letting it happen. Mm-hmm. And so this text is not primarily about how bad the ru- uh, the rich ruler is, right. but it is about the way in which the the system that allowed the rich ruler to be rich and to be a ruler mm-hmm. is itself sinful. And if we fail to recognize that, then we're not really getting to the heart of this question of justice, injustice, righteousness, unrighteousness. Right. So one of the things that um, I want to point out again is that, and we've discussed this in other chapters, but again, the the way of Jesus is always looking after the downtrodden or the outcasts of society, the people that... Um, the least and the lost, right? Mm-hmm. That that has the forgotten. Yes, that's always been a, a big focus uh, in Jesus's time here on Earth, and who he spent with, time with, and who he was speaking to. Mm-hmm. And that's a big important point. Even the people, you know, the pimps and the drug dealers, the the tax mm-hmm. collectors and sinners, the prostitutes, even people who were maybe not on the up and up, who were also captured into this the wicked system. system. Yeah, yeah, right. And He's then, bringing them home. Yeah. And then the other part is that Jesus does explicitly state that you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. And that's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, if you want to look that up. But I'm sure you've heard of it before. But that, I mean, that's, that's a real thing. There are two different ways of being. There's two different gods. There's two different yeah. masters here. And money is far too often, um, I mean, 
whether you think of it as an actual literal God or just the, the sort of the idol, that the thing that you spend most of your time trying to, you know, achieve and, and have, you know, like the, that your worship in a way is where you spend your time, effort, energy, and, you know, and well, and money. <laughs> right. Well, right. the Aramaic calls it mammon. And mm-hmm. so by the Middle Ages, you start to get folks who will actually describe this deity like this underworld deity. We like to talk about Molech, the god that demands your child's sacrifice, but, you know, really mammon is also a good way to Glory, talk about Babylon, power. the system. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and and I think the other thing, too, that's kind of interesting is, you know, in American evangelical Christianity, there's also this little bit of, like, this wealth somehow equals God's favor or that that somehow... Profit. If you're profiting off of things, that's that's a Christian virtue almost. Do you know? Do you have any more? Like, I mean, well, we, yeah. I mean, this being is being in Orange County. <laughs> we <laughs> see here, we yeah. see a lot of it. You know. Well, I mean, the, the, this is actually one of the biggest um, one of the biggest questions for early modern history, and it has to do with something that was written by a guy named Max Weber. And Weber wrote on this idea that there might be a connection between capitalism and Protestantism. It's uh, this the spirit of capitalism being tied to a kind of Protestant work ethic. Mm. There's certainly er- areas where this is true um, in that Protestants emphasize this idea of the priesthood of all believers. And so your job is also a vocation, a calling where you're serving your neighbors. So mm-hmm. if you make a good shoe and you have this, this, quality that you bring you're you're helping your neighbor have a good shoe so this is this is you're serving your neighbor and providing a good yeah and this is as important or more important than being a monk singing you know by yourself in some you know monastery but the the question really for the historian is to what extent does protestantism lead to the desacralization of the world and open up a space wherein economics is just practical Right, so it's no longer a moral question mm-hmm. whether you're rich. It's a it's a scientific question. How you know how well you are able to navigate these naturalistic forces, these uh, these economic forces, mm-hmm. is just a matter of your education, your hard work, and your willpower. And and uh, the problem, of course, with it, the, the problem with the Weber thesis is that well, there's many many problems with it. But but, but basically, both Martin Luther and John Calvin would seem like democratic socialists to us today. The expectations they had for society helping the poor and uh, you know, supporting hospitals is very different from what American evangelicals think in terms of this rugged individualism where you know, you've got to fend for yourself in health care and if you're old or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. That, that's, not the way, that's not the way that Luther and Calvin would have seen things. And, uh, and yet, I think the Weber thesis has something important to say for the way in which we started to, in fact, desacralize the world and then make money sacred, make make this capitalist enterprise spiritual. Well, and it seems it seems because in the in in America, obviously, the American dream, right? You yeah. come here and you make something of yourself. It's, yes, and it's, this is our it's where it's where old money isn't you know, new money isn't as stigmatized as what yeah. old money might you know like sorry old money does that to in europe or whatever yeah to when new we were in money france in. new money isn't necessarily right looked upon as as groovy it, it's not yeah but in a way in america the new money is the thing because right somehow yeah. you've arrived somehow yeah. you've and made you did it yourself you pulled yourself yeah. up by your bootstraps you you know you 
just dug in, you dug your heels into the ground, and you made something of yourself. You, you know? hustled. You hustled. Yep. You you did it. And, and a lot of times this is true, right? Yeah. A lot of times it's true. But it also fails to recognize the fact, or it fails to recognize that a, that a refugee isn't able to create Twitter. Right? right, in a refugee camp with no internet. Right. So there are certain well, things that you're able to do because of the circumstances you're placed in. And you, often somehow you need to have some sort of money in the first place <laughs> right. to, to invest in you know whatever it is that you come up with. So that's another thing. Oh, you and know. so and so many sociological studies have shown that um, that you know if you're poor and you win the lottery. You go back to being poor, and sometimes they say, I mean, it's even worse. And sometimes people even get suicidal. That that all of a sudden they they hear the thing that they thought they wanted their entire lives. They finally get it, and it ends up being the worst, almost like a curse. You know, the worst thing that ever happened to them. They're more miserable than before they had the lottery money. And so there are networks, there are ways of being brought up, and there are ethnic ties and uh, cultural ties that make it much easier for some people to get ahead than others. Yeah. And there's, there's of course, hard work, and we've seen people that are able to get out of circumstances and improve their condition. That happens. That's, that's what's great about modernity. Mm-hmm. But what's, what the downside of modernity is this idea that I think the ancients didn't make this mistake. In Jesus' time, people kind of, I think, realized that, that there was a lot of luck involved in terms mm-hmm. of wealth. Today, because some people can become great athletes or musicians or, or entrepreneurs, then we seem to think that everybody's wealthy that is, that is smart and intelligent and, uh, uh, and uh, successful because they're skilled. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily true. Or talented. Talented, yeah. right. Or, or, or will, they got the willpower. Right. So what I'd like to do now is I want to actually kind of break apart Let's look at the, the, text. the text. And then we'll kind of go through a few things that we want to point out in, in each of the different little chunks here. Um, the first part I want to talk about is, so when the the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and he, and he first he says, good teacher, <laughs> what must I do to in, inherit eternal life? And the, the good teacher thing is kind of interesting because... Then Jesus responds and he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So, I mean, Jesus could be being playful here. I think we've come up with like three different three different things that Jesus could uh, be implying here, right? Yeah, I, know, I don't think this is, these are live questions in our own mind. But, but reasonably, you, you've got three options. And you're going to have to whittle them down and figure out the one that you, you want to land on. But basically, it's possible that... Uh, for, for many interpreters, they'll look at this and say, see, look, Jesus is, is saying that he's not God, that people want to deify him. They want to treat him like God. But he's saying, listen, I'm not God. Mm-hmm. I'm a great teacher. That's one option. Mm-hmm. Uh, one option is the Orthodox historical Christian option, which is to say that he is essentially being ironic and he's teasing him. Right. And he's saying, hey, wait a minute. If now, you notice that God is good, yeah. you know, and you're calling me good. Well, maybe you can finally see here that I am God, right? Right. So the third option is the more New Age Eastern option, where Jesus is basically implying that there's a way to get to divinity for all of us. Mm, that, that he's God, but so is the rich ruler if he would, like Epictetus, recognize this divinity, the spark mm. of the divine within him. Now, I'm not... Uh, you know, for our purposes, we're, we're not here to give you your theology right. so much as we're here to, to look at the ways in which Jesus is going to give us some very important principles that are going to help us to avoid manipulation. But in each of these cases, in each of those ways of seeing it, 
a again, Jesus is not divine. Jesus is the only one who is divine, or we're all divine. In each of those cases, the divine standard of what righteousness is, Jesus is saying to the rich ruler, you are lowering the bar too far down. Mm. That you do not understand what it is to be good. You're asking the wrong question. You just want to be in some kind of club of the good people, but you don't actually want to be decent to folks. And I think that that sort of comes into play when he says, what must I have done in order to inherit eternal life? So he's he's already kind of thinking, you know, there's like a, a one and done sort of idea here. Like yeah. what is, what what, how can I earn this or what could I have done or what gets me there? Like I want, I don't necessarily want to change my entire life. I just yeah. want to, want to fulfill something so that I know that I can inherit eternal life. Isn't it? it, it it's interesting because he fails both on the, the moral front and the theological front from the perspective of classic evangelicalism, for instance. In the first case, he fails to recognize the nature of righteousness. He's, you know, uh, what, what must I have done? This is the uh, aorist. It's a, it's a, a way of talking about tense where this word is something that you've done in the past and you're done with it, right? So the aorist, uh, the mm-hmm. way this verb works, what, what is it that I have to have done to be able to inherit eternal life? What is it that I have to have done to get into the club? Right. As if right. to be righteous is just something you did a long time ago. What, like what laurel can I rest on or something? Right. That's, a, that's a terrible question. So from the perspective of religious sentiments where, or religious ideas where we're saying, I'm going to do something to get God's blessings, he fails on that. Right. On the other hand, he's asking, what is it that I've got to do for God to love me? Mm-hmm. If he's asking that question, he fails there too because there's no transaction involved here. Exactly. So you're, you're missing the point. Yeah, basically, he's trying to bring. He could be trying to bring about his own eternal, you know, inheritance mm. rather than receiving God's grace, like we said, and sort of that there is that you know that works righteousness type of thing, um, and also the the virtue the virtue signaling. Um, yeah. <laughs> rather than actually being virtuous. Yeah, he wants to look virtuous rather than be virtuous. Or he be wants able to, to get yeah. in the club, not really, you know, like know what it is to be a part of that club. <laughs> yeah. What's the What's the characteristic? Uh, or what are the characteristics of the people that are part of this movement? He's right. not interested in that. And so then, then Jesus goes on and, and basically says, so you know the commandments? He's like, I think he's basically saying, oh, fine, you want to do something? You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bring false testimony. You should honor your father and mother. And notice there that he's talking about all of the commandments that relate to the ethical relationship that he would have with people. So the second table of the law versus the first, where that's all about having to have a right, how do you have a right relationship with God, right? And we mentioned that maybe, you know, maybe Jesus knows he's already Jewish, perhaps that part, fine, he's got that. But I don't think so. I think he's actually purposely talking about the right relationship part for a reason. Right. The Shema, the the idea that, that, you know, Every good Jewish believer knows that there's only one God, and this is the God to worship. That's what we call the first table of law, almost if you imagine you know, Moses coming down the mountains with the two tablets. The first tablet is all about our right relationship to the divine. Right. Don't have a false God. No Don't idols. make idols. Yeah. Um, set up some time to give devotion to this God, this sort of thing. The second part is how we relate to others. 
And you're right to mention this, Stacey. They, um, they are important. They're important commands. They're the only ones, though, that Jesus mentions. These are the things that make you righteous or not righteous. And this is, I think, very different, very different from the way American Christians especially think about their faith. They're asking, am I in the right, am I in the right club? Am I in the right religion? Jesus, at least here, does not say you've got to be part of the right religion to get into the, uh, into the kingdom. Right. If you want to inherit eternal life, you've got to be part of the right group well, and I think if he's never if he, says that, if he explains the way, then when you are following the true way of Jesus, then you'll be in the right club. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it right. Naturally, like will if you care will, about that. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> yeah, one of the things that um, so then the ruler then responds, I've kept all these commands since I was young. So he yeah. and that also another low <laughs> view of what is actually being asked there, because yeah, I mean, yeah so maybe I haven't stolen, but like it. To steal could look, I mean, he probably in somehow, in some way stole from people or his ancestors did to be rich. Um, They, you know, I I heard somebody say somewhere that you don't make a billion dollars. You take a billion, you know. (laughs) Um, I don't think any of us would ever say that we've kept all of the commandments perfectly. And he's just like, oh, yeah, I've done that since I was a boy. (laughs) He's misunderstood the, the depth of each of those commands. For instance, you know, uh, coveting covers so much. One of the things I like, you know, about about Martin Luther, you know, Luther, he again, he's he's got some flaws. He says some terrible things about the Jews. He says stupid things in the in the context of the peasants' revolt. Uh, but he's got some wins. And Luther's one of one of Luther's wins is he believes that you shouldn't coerce people in religion. Mm. I, I think that's so important and so unique. I think it's also important and unique that he says. Uh, that when they do the reform in Germany, that boys and girls get education, that everybody gets an education, mm-hmm. everybody, mm-hmm. And, uh, and empowering them. I mean, that, that's, that's so important. Uh, but the, the thing that, L- that Luther does about the Ten Commandments in his catechism, I think, is, is really helpful. And he says it's not just, um, it's not just a, a prohibition, but it's a promise for the kind of people that we're going to be. It's an eschatological reality. So when it says, you shall not murder... It doesn't just mean don't murder. It means that there's coming a day when we're going to be transformed and we're going to be able to work together in reconciling ways that this is God's mission and it's going to win. Mm -hmm. And God's mission is going to bring about a world where we don't have to steal anymore because Mm -hmm. there's not inequality. Right. And because because we don't worship mammon. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about this, just just those two things alone. if, if, If we don't have this scarcity under this model of scarcity in our mm-hmm. lives, then we don't need to hoard. Right. We don't need to steal. And we don't need to get yeah, filthy rich. If you rich. have everything you need, yeah. what, why take more than, you know, like yeah. you don't need to take from others. Just the whole, yeah. Once you get into the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. when you really understand what Jesus is talking about, these aren't hard things. They just evaporate. Yeah. What I mean, life it's, is hard. but, but It's a whole yeah. new system it's a whole new system that's it's a whole new yeah. metric it's a right. whole new logic right. yeah yeah so of course the when the the young ruler says i've done all this since i was a boy so then jesus then goes one step f- you know further he says hearing this there's still one thing you're missing sell everything as much as you have and give the proceeds to the poor and you'll have treasures in the heavens and then come follow me and one of the things i want to bring up 
here is that we have um, been fortunate enough during this time to, through um, an Israeli Jewish uh, friend of, of yours, Jeff, that um, mm-hmm. to get introduced into this uh, workshop, this this series that uh, Amy Jill Levine is doing, and, mm-hmm. and she's um, a, a professor at she, what she, college? Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. And she's an interesting character because she is a Jewish woman who is doing New Testament scholarship. And what's really fascinating about her work is that even if you don't agree with her religiously or theologically, that she has done a lot of good work in terms of studying first century Judaism and what the context is for what Jesus is talking about. So, And also you know, correcting some of the like our own biases and things that we've read into that culture, which aren't true necessarily. Right, and, right. Just just assumptions about the Pharisees mm-hmm. or assumptions about what a parable is doing or how they would have heard it. It's just, it, it, again, it's just very, very important. And it was really a delight over the last few weeks we've been able to uh, be able to sit in on this this right. course with, I think, almost every everybody else is, is Jewish in mm-hmm. the group. But we, uh, we're the, the, the Gentile Christian folks kind of ch- <laughs> chiming in or, or jumping in. And... Um, it's been really enlightening, and the reason, one of the reasons we did it, besides my friendship with uh, with my friend, is the way in which this helps us to make sense of some of these right. parables, clear up some, you know, you some know. ideas that maybe we had wrong. But you know. one of the things I want to bring out is uh, is the righteous righteousness, yeah. um, if, as far as the Jewish. Um, First century Jewish conception of it. Yeah, the yeah. conception of it. And so there's a piece of it that is not only is it, say, following the commands or like, you know, doing the right thing. There's also a level of generosity to it that we don't necessarily in the West that I'm, you know, that I'm familiar with that we mm. really ever kind of have that connotation with righteousness, right? We we think of no. it right, right standing with God. We've heard that, you know. Um, uh, do we not, we don't gamble, we don't drink, we don't cuss we don't um we don't smoke we don't do drugs you know that's what righteousness is is for us it's the stuff that is primarily following the rules yeah yeah we're clean cut um but But there's another element to it like i said the generosity so i think what jesus is kind of bringing in here is the part where well if you want to be righteous you still need that generosity element that he's missing you know that and and I also think that well it goes on. Well, but before we go, okay. Need you need this? What does that mean? Right. And if if you're thinking it like if you're thinking this is about this question, is God going to let you into heaven if you have any money? You're asking I think a different question than the question that was at, at hand here. He's saying if you really if you want to be part of this movement, you can't be rich in the way you're rich. Literally. Right. If you want to be free from this false system of mammon, mm-hmm. you can't cling to it. Right. You just can't do it. It's right. this is not this is not spiritual. This is not just a little game that he's playing. It's real. Yeah, and I want to expand on that a yeah. little bit more because then in this section where he says, then all of a sudden, you know, the the rich uh, ruler, he became terribly sad mm. since he was very wealthy. Yeah. And um and then seeing him this way. Jesus became sad too. And he was lamenting. He said, how difficult it is for those with wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. It's tragic. And and it's easier for, for a camel to make it through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy person to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, I've also heard people play around with the eye of the needle thing. 
<laughs> um, that if, you know, as if there was some other eye of the needle he was referring to. Sometimes growing up, I've heard people say that there was like a, a gate in the Jerusalem wall, perhaps it was low, that the camels had to like get to remove everything off their backs. They had to get down basically on their, their knees or bellies, you know, almost and kind of barely get through. Um, and that that was, you know, it was difficult uh, as if that was what Jesus was referring to. And you've done some research and pretty much disqualified any of those sort of explanations as being accurate, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's giving me too much credit. Uh, it's it's pretty quickly, you know, debunked that this is this is not something we have any record of. There's, but you wanted to double check, is what? Yeah, I'm trying well, that's to say. Right. thank you. No, that's right. <laughs> but I mean, I'm just saying it's like it, this is this is patently false. So where does this come from? It comes from our desire to keep our riches rather than our in, interest right. in actually understanding the first century context of the of the Bible sort and Jesus. Sort of a, another mental gymnastics that we do, right? <laughs> to keep our stuff. <laughs> to keep it. And to not listen to what the heck was going, going on in this on. text. Yeah. So if there, if there isn't any other workaround, um, uh, so then obviously it's, you know, basically saying it's really, really hard then for a rich person to get into the kingdom of God. And, and that seems odd. That seems like almost unfair. So then that's when... It says, then those who heard all this, and they said, then who, shall, who is able to be saved? Because we're all, like, they start, the disciples started to realize, wait a minute, we all kind of, we all kind of have some money. and We're all screwed. We're all screwed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, we're all implicated in yeah, the system. Right. And, but notice, Jesus does a beautiful thing here. And he answers, that which is impossible for people is possible for God. Yeah. And this is a classic sort of law gospel uh sort of the way that whole conversation went and would you share a little bit more of like the concept with like that luther um has talked about with law and gospel yeah i mean this is this is a classical evangelical way of going about the text and i want to before i get to it i want to say that this is the only way i had heard it and i still think it's true i still think that there's spiritual value in this when we started out our conversation, we we're saying there's also a very literal way in which what Jesus is saying is literally true, that money's going to get in your way. Money's going to cause you not to be happy. It's going to hurt your life. It's going to hurt your peace of mind. And I think it's your love right? of money and your unwillingness to part with it is the problem. Yeah, but also being caught up in the system of yeah. money is part of the sickness. Okay, Let's, we'll establish that. Now, what is this law gospel reading of it? Now, Luther says that the law and gospel kind of uh, work together in a very interesting way. If you are arrogant, the law is going to pull you down and 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 level you. Right. You know, um, to bring you down to a place of humility where you can receive the and teaching. realize that yeah. that you can't you very can't important. do it yourself. You are you're you're screwed. Basically, yep. sometimes people need to have a prophetic word, and that's the that in the way Jesus is using it. This is not Torah like in Jewish context mm-hmm. of, of like the law, the way we would talk about the, uh, the the Hebrew scriptures. This is the part of the Old Testament and New Testament uh, for Luther where there are commands, things you need to do, okay? So the law has many functions. For Luther, it has three functions, but one of the main functions is the way in which it drives us to recognize our need, like a mm-hmm. uh, like a alcoholic hits rock bottom. So the law is applied in a, in a way that kills us, and it kills us in the sense that it shows us um, shows us our need for true righteousness right. that we're not there. Right. And I think you know 
I don't want to get rid of that either. Right. You know, that, that's something that we have for 20 years. It's been really important to us. The, the part that I want to I dispense with is the idea that that's all there is. So sometimes people will say, Jesus doesn't really care in, in the Protestant tradition. Uh, following Luther, Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't really care if you care about the poor. He's just trying to find one area in this person's life to demolish them, to, to, to finish, you know, no, to finish the job of, of, of killing them with the law so that they can rely on the righteousness of Christ. I think he's, he's very wisely seeing through this guy and his intentions. Yes. And he's, he's hitting the spot that he needs to hit. And, and exactly, that, the, the spot that he needs to hit. Because the, the Lutheran interpretation of law and gospel where you, you, you bring people down that are arrogant and then you give comfort to people that feel guilty and lost. Right. This, it's kind of like a yin and yang kind of flow. It needs to remain. I, I think that's still a part of it. So it is really helpful when you look at it from the perspective of law and gospel to notice that that the disciples recognized that that was what was going on, that, that they were devastated too. Right. Not only was this guy judged by the harsh demands of what real righteousness is, all of us, when we look at ourselves, realize, yeah, we're pretty much all out for ourselves. You know, we might be more or less engaged in, in homeless ministry or something, mm-hmm. or we might give more or less money to charity, but by and large... We're out for ourselves, you know, and so we're all we're all condemned. We're all damned right. in that sense. So when you when everybody's feeling super low, then Jesus mm-hmm. then turns around and says, hey, "All things impossible with God." What's impossible for man yep. is what is possible. You know, all things are possible through God. For, you know, whatever yeah. I said, <laughs> that which is impossible for people is possible for God. So yeah. what we can't do on our own, God can do it. God has figured this out. We can trust in His graciousness in in his plan. But here's the part where people get to stay manipulated. And that is that we don't allow this to, to detach us from our love of money. Like it's actually in your best interest. Listener. It is in my best interest. It's in Stacy's best interest. It's in our children's best interest. It's in the whole world. It's in the whole world's best interest for us to sell everything we've got. To, to let go of this mad desire to accumulate wealth right. at the expense of others. It's in our best interest. It is righteous mm-hmm. for us to do this. And so it's possible with God. How is it possible with God? Because when you see the new logic of unconditional love, when you see that we're all in this together, when you see that everybody that you meet is your brother or sister, then you realize that you want to share. Yeah. Now, this is the key that I didn't get. So... All right, so where we are so far is this. God says, if you really want to earn your place in the kingdom, then you've got to sell everything. We didn't sell everything, so we're all screwed. Mm-hmm. God says, okay, I'm going to give you these blessings. In, in, in this way of Jesus, there's this reconciliation, this unconditional love. If we're willing, though, to, to hear it, because sometimes we don't want to hear it. So the, you know, the well, rich that's ruler what, walks away. Yeah, he's all sad. But then, yeah. And then notice that Peter said, well, Notice we've left we've all done of it. our stuff and we followed you. We've <laughs> got done it. Got a suspect, yeah. <laughs> and then he responded, Jesus responded to them, rest assured when I tell you that no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive infinitely more in this existence and eternal life in the age to come. So one other thing that uh, we've been learning from Amy Jo Levine, drawing from um, 
uh, Mishnah is there's this quote here that I think is, is really fascinating. It says, better is one hour of repentance and good works in this world than the whole life in the world to come. And better is one hour of bliss in the world to come than the whole life of this world. So what is waiting for us is so beautiful. But yet, one hour of repentance and good works and just that that feeling of when you're doing something for somebody in this world, that that's better than the whole life of of the eternal world <laughs> where we think of everything as always sort of everything gets great and magical <laughs> once we die, right? And have, yeah. and, and have eternal life. And it's, that's an interesting thought that that beauty of that moment of an interaction with somebody else doing something for your brother, sister, neighbor, you know, looking out for somebody. That beautiful taking human care, connection. That connection is not, that's not something that, I mean, that's something here on this earth in this world that we get to enjoy i love that text because it's basically saying you know in to this rich ruler you're missing a big picture piece of this which is eternity is experienced in your love of your neighbor yeah that intimacy that connection that love that transforming act towards somebody you're not going to earn you don't do it so you can earn uh eternity or inherit eternity, no. that act is the embodiment and the experience of eternity. And it's the way that Jesus is teaching. He's teaching us a whole new system, a whole new way of being that doesn't depend on taking advantage of other people or, or earning stuff or whatever. It's, it's about the mutual gift-giving and love yeah. of one to one another. It's tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. It's tasting and seeing that if you follow this understanding of what righteousness is, and it's not about bean counting or keep you know getting points to merit eternal life. Anytime you're trying to do no. something for the sake of it or to look a certain way, you're already missing the point. Right. Just stop that because there's <laughs> there really isn't a point. <laughs> but it, but if you're talking about the tikkun olam, if you're talking about the healing of the world, it's joyful. Yes. I mean, I don't know, friends. If you don't think it is, I don't know. Have you tried it? Because we're not, <laughs> we're not trying to hustle you onto something that is well, is, is as, not going to be enjoyable if you try it out. I mean, loving people is so, and, great. <laughs> and even as much as we've uh, commercialized Christmas, but think about how much happiness we get from the yeah. giving of gifts. You know, it, we we all know that it isn't about what you're receiving. That's that's more of the shallow part, the hollow part of it. But it's the gift exchange. Yeah, that what you're giving to other people and and that you're thinking of them and you know what would they enjoy? You know and and. I mean, when you come up with the perfect gift, I mean, you just get so excited sometimes. It's hard to wait for Christmas even to give it to them, you know? I love that because there are times when we like it and stuff, and sometimes it's really a – Christmas can be a real drag if you're just, you know, what do I got to get this yeah. coworker and they're going to yeah, yeah, get yeah. me something. But when you're actually in that space where you are excited to give something that is going to bring joy, mm-hmm. whatever that feeling is, yeah. that's what that's, that's what eternal. That's the eternal – um, joy that that Jesus is talking about, and that the uh, that the that the Mishnah the the Rabbi here is is talking about mm-hmm. that that if you can experience that in this life, that is eternity, yeah. and that eternity itself is is better than our lives here. That's fair enough, 
but the the way that we can be a like to use Christian language to way the way we can be a sacramental presence in this world can be that loving touch, uh, that kind word. If yeah, if you're thinking of it like you're you're doing these things to get brownie points, uh, then I guess it's a bummer, you know. Yeah. But if you let go of that, if you're living in the world of unconditional love and grace, then those things that we do one for another are delights. Yeah. So, I want to kind of share a little story with everybody. Um, we went, uh, oh, like what, a couple summers ago. We 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 drove around in our Delica. Uh, we were gonna sort of live very minimalistically yep. for a summer. It was the beginning of our experiment that we're still working on. It was a small... How can we sell everything and try to yeah. be very, very sparse or you know, have, have um, a, a joyful life with a lot less? Right. Well, and, and even just trying to discover, like, how can we uh, enjoy this time of traveling, but not you know, what can we take advantage of that is free to yeah. us? What's available to us? Free camping. For, yeah. Um, and, and it was in that journey in one of our most favorite places. Yes, which we will not mention. <laughs> um, but it, we were able to... You can contact us, friends. We'll, we'll let you know, but we don't want to... <laughs> we were able to drive our Delica. Uh, it's like a little van. Um, we were right on the... A little sand. van. It's a very... Micro, it's, a, it's a delivery <laughs> van, four-wheel drive, uh, with a right-hand... Mm-hmm. Right hand side of the, you know, it's a Japanese gar- import. It's amazing, amazing. Yeah. We just sold it actually. Yeah, yeah we loved it though, and they were going to a good, uh, good, good family. It was hard to part with. We can't but- have too many vehicles <laughs> when you're trying to be, you're uh-huh. trying to sell everything. You can't have seven vehicles, right? <laughs> so we decided. Um, I mean, so we were going to camp right on the ocean or the sand right there, yep. right near the ocean. It was such a beautiful place. Oh yeah, and it was there that we met many. Wonderful people, but especially uh, I want to talk right now about how we met Lord and Pebbles. Yep, <laughs> and they were what um, I guess self-proclaimed hippie royalty. Yes, and we believe them. <laughs> I think there's they, some truth to yep, it. Yep. Um, he, I don't know. They've been on the road. I mean, ever since they were old enough to to drive, basically thirty years they've been living on the road in their RV of some vehicle, or maybe a bus. I think they started out in a classic hippie bus, and they. And he said that, uh, you know, Lord said he refused to ever pay for any spot to lay his, you know, his head down at night, you know, in a a location. I mean, he, of course, has his rig. He's got to drive around um, and he sleeps in that, but he won't pay for any kind of campsite, not even a cheap campsite. He'll stay for free wherever he's going to, you know, travel around. And he has a a trailer that he connects to the back of his motorhome and they have their own business that they run out of there. But he, you know, you were kind of saying, okay. You could tell that the, this couple had been on the road, and we had some conversations with them, and and you know we kind of asked them for some advice. He said, "You know, you've done this for so long." I said, "I want to be like you when I grow up." <laughs> yes, and and he he had a few lessons for us, and one he said, "I I don't know, I don't know if you're brave enough. Most people aren't. You know, it's he said very going to get you difficult. It's very difficult, and largely because you don't have any security. You could get." kicked off of wherever it is that you're put trying to stop and, and sleep, you know, or wherever. Um, it's a difficult life on the road. You don't have that, that spiritual anchor. Mm-hmm. You don't have that. Yeah, like there's no community. There, you know, what, well, home. no, no. I, I, I think he had a good community. Yeah, that's I, true. Had good community. That is but I mean, true. There's not a guard-gated community. But it's a mobile community. Yes. It's a different nomadic, thing. Nomadic, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, nomadic. But he didn't have it. I guess what I'm saying is, is, set people that he was always necessarily yeah. going to keep, you know, 
I, I think sometimes we enjoy our friendships and being able to, you know, revisit a lot more relationships. And they still, of course, had family they kept in touch with. And but familiarity. Yeah. They're, like, we were instant friends. We're hanging out as right. friends. But then we move on. Right. And a lot of our best, when we were traveling around the country that summer and then in the last, you know, eight months of, of our experiment for my sabbatical, we, we would develop strong friendships, but we would keep moving. Yeah. And so that lack of predictability is I think what he was saying is, is going to be frightening. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, where Jesus says, you know, the son of man doesn't have a place to lay his head. You mm-hmm. know, the, the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the way of Jesus is, is nomadic. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that he advised us with was you don't want to look like uh, that, that you are outside the system. So yeah. make sure you're kind of low key with your, your setup. So he I'm not doing so well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, but, yeah, but I, I get it, but he had a, you know, pretty traditional, you know, motorhome and yeah. trailer. He, he himself, he looked, more like a biker than he yes. did any, you know, than a hippie. Um, he had a, you know, a long gray beard. He wore jeans and like what, like a, a t-shirt. His and business was working on, it was a mobile, well, he had a couple businesses, but one of them was mobile, um, motorcycle repair, repair, motorcycle repair. Yeah. And that tends to go well with the coppers. If you want to be an outlaw, being a motorcyclist is, is the way to do it in terms of the police mm-hmm. <laughs> typically. So he was saying, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, lay off your, your, your scarf. I'm just kidding. But, um, but I think yeah. he's more talking about <laughs> the, the stickers on the van. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That kind of thing, because the cops are going to want to mess with you if, you know, sometimes or whatever, figuring out, you know, who are you, especially if you're got plates from a different state than you're in and things like we that. We might've had a bumper sticker that said chant down Babylon. And I think, you know, if you're just declaring to the devil that you're going to hit the corner pocket, <laughs> yeah. that's not necessarily, yeah, that's not so well. Um, And then the the last piece um, of advice that he had mentioned, because we had talked about how we were uh, going to or looking to purchase this property that we wanted to be able, and we and we did purchase it. it, We wanted Um, the van down by the river (laughs) that was our river, mm -hmm. (laughs) so we knew exactly where we could park if we needed to. Right, and we yeah, and just like you said, so we knew exactly where to park if we needed to um, to have a space that we knew we could still call home and feel a connection with. And what he said is, if you want true freedom, you need to isolate that part of you that needs that land. And and I would say that that was that was very profound. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also very true of you know whatever for you know I don't know what your and maybe in your own life what is your land, um, but what is that piece mm-hmm. of something that it, you know it brings security to you? It brings you know a sense of um, that. The world is okay as long as I have X. <laughs> Isolate it and heal it. So, for instance, you might find that you, you're in a spe- specific situation where you're, you're trying to work at a hospital in San Francisco, and you don't have any choice other than to get a studio apartment. That's okay. Or you might need to buy instead of rent in Iowa just because that's the market. I don't. Th- I don't think. I'm not the being. Lord yeah, I don't think it's literal here for no. But he land said. Or no but land. the part of me that needed to feel like I had a piece of dirt so that I could be a man. That was the thing that I needed to heal. Mm-hmm. If you know, so there's always these practical considerations. But the part of me that thinks that I needed that mm-hmm. for status or self uh, assurance or, or, or a sense of security, all of that because it was false. I think is exactly what 
Jesus was, was right. saying here, that you've, you've, you've got your stock in the wrong company, Yeah, you know, it, it, in the wrong system. It's not even the wrong company. It's at the wrong friggin' market. <laughs> right. Well, and I think any time that we are tempted to hoard anything or cushion ourselves with whatever security blankets, whatever they might be, um, that a couple things that it can end up owning us. One, yeah. you know, we could end up almost being a slave to that, whatever yes. it is, and trying to keep that. And on top of that, I mean, we live right now is a very difficult time and a lot of people have lost a lot, whether it's their jobs, whether it's their retirement. Um, you know, some people are having a hard time, you know, making, you know, paying their mortgage or, or their rent. And some, if we put too much of our own self-worth or our own, I guess that this world is only worth existing if I have X, Y, or Z, it will, um, it will in one way or another, at some point it will get taken away from you, whether it's when you're dying, finally at the end you have to let go. Um, or it could happen, unfortunately, sometime in your lifespan. And I think it's that, that attachment. It's that, you know, that, that need of needing some of these things that we really should sort of look in a little bit closer in ourselves and, and be honest with what are those things? What is it that if Jesus were talking to you, that he would say, well, have you done this? Or go and do this, you know, like go and sell, you know, what would it be that Jesus is What do you need to root out? Yeah. And you don't need to, you don't need to do this in some kind of paranoid, obsessive way. It's more of an invitation. invitation. Yeah, you said a jinx. (laughs) Invitation to a different way of thinking, a freedom beyond the other side. And Mm. so that when you do have your home, your job, you know, whatever, it's... It's more of you are enjoying the blessings of what you have rather than you like grasping and holding on to something that you're just trying not to let slip from your fingers. The, the whole connection between this and our work with Protect Your Noggin is this, that if people are controlling us, we need to figure out how can we dismantle the mechanisms of control. And the way that people control us is through money. If you sell everything... Literally, if you release your need to have those things, then you can be ethical. You can be free. Mm-hmm. What keeps us unfree, what we need to be emancipated from, is this mental idea that money matters, that, that, um, that the system of, of exploitative economics is the way it should be, and that if we're not successful in that world, then we're somehow failures. Friends, this is an invitation to deep deep peace this is an invitation to freedom and release and joy and all of the world is trying to convince you otherwise other than this dude lord by the way what's his full name (laughs) lord jesus christ yeah pebbles Pebbles told us as we were walking (laughs) off and he said oh did did you hear lord's real full name and Mm -hmm. like oh what so what we're telling (laughs) you is that the literal Jesus, the original Jesus of Nazareth, is telling you that if you want to be happy and free, you will let go of these temporary things and you will receive eternity. 
And also, there's a dude who lives up on PCH somewhere who's an old hippie with his wife. And they said, also, if you want to be free and happy, and by the way, they were. This is the whole key. They were happy. They were looking out at this beautiful, beautiful ocean on a beach that they didn't have to pay to Mm -hmm. be at. And they, they lived with... Very low they, expenses, and they had so many blessings, so many people. Richer. They were the richest people I've met, yeah. and they sold everything. So this is not an opportunity for you to get dreary or to beat yourself up so that God will love you more. Ah. Right, and we're not trying to say that being impoverished is somehow no. righteous, you know, that, that no. we've got to, you know, find ways to make ourselves, you know, dirt poor. In fact, there's there's no virtue really in in living off the backs of other people no you know, taking and and you know you, you or neglecting your nutrition for your children right. if you can help it right you know. so it's not this this isn't about taking advantage of other things or or a system or something like that so that you don't have to work or something it's not like that at all it's more it's more about you know our our attachment to these things and mm-hmm. also it you know why don't we share more of what we have with others that don't have um, a lot of times you know we again is it easy for us just to think somehow they deserve their plight and even if they do you know what what can we do to share what where you know where what areas you know can we help others and, and be mindful of that my friend john Liu clued us into some research in psychology I think, you know, our, our friend Betsy Little, uh, Van Fossen also has, has talked about this, that there is a threshold for money that does actually help you with happiness. And a few years back, it was something like $70,000, mm-hmm. where if you have a certain amount of money that you should try to, to, to make, you should try to find a way for you to be self-sustaining. And uh, maybe the number changes, right? If you live in an RV, you don't need to make 70000 but But whatever it is... You, you want to make a, an amount of money so that you don't have to worry about money, and so uh, so. But in 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 a spiritual sense, in solidarity with the poor and with the downtrodden, we should renounce excessive wealth, Re- renounce the uh, the false enjoyment or like the, our, our amusement of ourselves through it. And At that the false same protection, t- yeah. Now, at the same time, I think like our our, our oldest uh, Augie sometimes will say some some good things like drink less, um, have like festive nights more, right? Mm-hmm. In other words, go out and and spend a lot of money on a really good micro brew and maybe have a few and feel warm and, and joyful, but don't don't just like numb your life out through drinking. Right. Um, get a few really nice shoes. Or get some quality clothes that you love, you know. Well, and and to be honest, when you do the quality, it lasts longer. This as well. this sweater right <laughs> here, this thing is going to go forever. This will, we'll probably take this to the end. This was uh, from Scotland, made out of merino wool. It wouldn't wouldn't have been cheap. I actually found this on the ground. <laughs> but um, but if we had paid for it, it might have been expensive. Mm-hmm. But how many times do we get cheap clothes that wear out? Yeah, yeah, wear and, thin. And, and who and who's selling us that? The system, mm-hmm. Molec, Mammon. This is the way that the system works, where we got a bunch of cheap crap, cheap cigarettes, cheap coffee, cheap beer, cheap clothes, disposable everything. But all on the but backs. But nothing that's... Nothing that's lasting and nothing yeah. that has quality. And then also it's all on the backs of, of poor people that yeah. are almost sometimes in slave-like conditions making these things. Check out, uh, friends, our, uh, our friend Raleigh Sadler's work with um, vulnerable populations. We'll have some, some uh, show notes. If you go to protectyournoggin.org, 
uh, kind of clue you into that. But he's, but he's been doing work on this and basically kind of clues us into this idea that for most of the stuff, the cheap stuff that we've got, there are multiple ways in which uh, human trafficking was involved. Essentially, mm-hmm. slave labor is involved in the modern world. And we seem to not be as upset as we should about this. Mm. You know, we get upset about, oh, man, the Civil War. There was this thing in the 19th century where there was slavery. There's slavery going on right now. And so this isn't about liberal guilt or feeling crummy all the time. It's actually about finding delight. And the delight comes when you lift that burden off of of having to worry about money. More Mm. money, more problems. Yeah, that's true. Yes. So... I would like to now go over a couple questions right. um, and I'll ask you uh, the first one. It says, where might structural sin operate in your community? And is there anything you can do individually or with a group to heal that sin? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I you know, without getting too political, I'll just throw it out there and people can discuss it. But if I'm in this conversation in a small group or something, the first place I'd go to is the way in which both the Republicans and the Democrats seem to have an advantage or seem to gain some advantage from in, uh, undocumented workers uh, doing a lot of our low-level labor. The, um, the politicizing of this without actually dealing with the human cost is really uh, putrid. Yeah. It's disgusting. So, you know, um, the number of people that are against... Um, what they will call Ill- illegal immigration, but also are employing people that they don't have to pay health care for, mm-hmm. that they could fire without HR, mm-hmm. is, is outrageous and hypocritical. Meanwhile, it feels like a lot of my you know, ostensibly progressive friends kind of are okay with the, the unjust system of human trafficking as people come and are uh, paying coyotes to come up across the border. And th- this is good because they want to appease certain ethnic groups and demographics so that they can get elected. Mm. I am terribly frustrated w- <clears throat> with pol- politicians and business people of all sorts because everyone's benefiting from it. And everybody benef- and a lot of people benefit from the, the, uh, you know, the heartstrings being uh, plucked on a lot of this, but no one seems to really be bringing forward proposals to fix the way we think about um, labor and, the, and, the, and to fix the problem of the human, human rights issues related to uh, refugees and immigration. I think that's, especially for us in Southern California, this is something that, that needs to be at the top of our um, list of concerns, especially now, right, right now, as, as we're dealing with the uh, coronavirus pandemic, you know, it's, it, we get all we get all worried about the folks that are in small businesses as we should be, uh, or people that are losing their jobs in, in normal, you know, day to day life. There's a lot of people that were part of the non system, the invisible, but very, um, prevalent, mm-hmm. uh, workers throughout our society that I, I don't, I, I don't know, you know, like what are they dealing with right now? Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have the health care, They don't have the HR department to complain to they don't you know they're on their own and so you know if these are human beings that are our brothers and sisters in this world and we don't have any concern for that we have to ask how do we get there global issues brought this about Mm -hmm. local issues brought this about well we're going to start with the local well and and you can choose which businesses you support or whatever or or which ones you know there's things to to be done um, yeah there's things to be done but but to disregard it i think that that's that's the structural sin right this our our reliance on because the other thing is you can either import people 
you can you can have people come into the country that are undocumented and then we can exploit them or we can take our factories and go exploit people in Indonesia and then the ship, problem is exploitation ship the stuff over yeah <laughs> you fix that and then you don't right. like you don't nobody really needs to live in Los Angeles you know uh, there are parts of Baja California that are really really beautiful and nice yeah, absolutely. so why are you coming up you're coming up because of you know these yeah global inequalities so you fix the global inequality and then then we're not you know like focusing in on these problems that we think they're just a lot of the problems that become political problems are um they're they're symptoms of a deep sickness they're not the sickness itself right um so another question that i will i'll answer i'll ask myself it says to what extent do you think your religious beliefs about caring for the poor should or do relate to the way you vote Hmm. So I don't want to get partisan here, um, and obviously I don't want to tell you, you how to vote, but I mean, if you see something, you could you know, vote or whatever on that's one thing. Um, I think what's more important for us to kind of think about is that you, know, you really can't, we can't rely on our governments to be the ones that are looking out necessarily after the poor, too. We are implicated in how, you know, what are we doing in our local communities? What are we doing for our own selves. So I think it's easy sometimes to brush the problem off that either governments need to take care for, you know, take care of this, or we either vote on it and it either passes or doesn't, and we either do it or don't. Um, I think we need to get a little bit more, just think for yourself of, you know, in what areas in your own life, you know, what can I do? That's, that's my vote. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm casting a vote by however I, act in my own life and, and or spend your dollars. Yes. All of that. Mm-hmm. So I think that that to me is, is where I, where I see it, you know, strongest. Um, and of course, wherever I can also with actual voting, I, you know, I'll, I'll do that too. And what I need to, because it is so difficult, it's easy to just, I mean, the structural sin is so ingrained. It is so intra- like, so that it's so much that it feels like, there's really not a lot we can do and that we ourselves are victims in this system sometimes too. Yeah. And so it, it almost is one of those things where it just feels like the, the problem is so huge. There's really nothing you can do. So then you just do the best that you can with, you know, within the system. And I would say um, being, becoming complacent <laughs> is not, isn't, is you're not going to be able to find that joy in the kingdom of, of, that Jesus is talking about in the kingdom of God, if we don't sort of have a whole different mindset to all of this and treat our brothers and sisters in a whole different way. Um, and that, you know, we, we are, <laughs> I know it sounds trite, but we are all in this together. And sometimes we're way more just laser focused into our own lives, <clears throat> our own lives, our own family, our own like just smaller, you know, immediate family. And then, you know, you keep, you branch out a little bit and you'll help a little bit less, <laughs> but it's all usually connected somehow to blood or, or our close friends. And I think we need to think bigger than, than just our blood. <laughs> um, and, and the people that maybe immediately around us are doing nice things for us or, or with us, or we enjoy hanging out with. Um, it's, it's bigger than that. And the kingdom of, of God is bigger than that. Yeah. You know, it's it's okay for us to do special things for people that are close to us because who else are you going right. to do it for, right? And it's good to take care of your kids because that, that's your job. Um, I think the biggest issue, I really like what you're saying. It's, you don't want to get, 
don't want to get partisan about it, but that we do have a prophetic voice. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're not going to say necessarily what Jesus wants us to do in this particular instance about a policy. But what we can't do is ignore the people that are supposed to be served by the policy. So you might say the best way to help the poor is through free markets. Or you could say the best way to help the poor is through universal basic income or through a social welfare state. All right, we can debate about what the actual policies are. What the best way to go about it is. But the thing that we are not allowed to do, if you think that we're following Jesus in this, in this game here, if, 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 we, if we take this teacher, Jesus, seriously, you can't say that you're a follower of this guy and not care about the poor and think that the poor deserve to be poor and think that the poor are not our concern and that accumulating uh, large uh, stacks of wealth mm-hmm. is at the expense of the poor mm-hmm. is part of the kingdom because it's not. Right. At the same time, as we've said, there is a liberation in this. Yeah. It, absolutely. That's the, whole, that's the whole point is that when you no longer have a need for, for these attachments or, or that, then – then the whole world becomes your playground. <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> you snip know? your strings, the, your little Pinocchio, you snip your strings the, from the... You, the whole world is your inheritance. Yeah, everything is yours, the whole thing. You, the meek shall inherit the earth, you get it. Yeah. You inherit the earth, you inherit eternity in real terms and in spiritual terms. And it's when you're doing that that you find that deep peace upon peace. <laughs> Thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP. And rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said there wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? That's because you found this letter low too much.